Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Startup Confessionals, where we interview startup founders and entrepreneurs in the Middle East and Africa. We'll learn about some of the biggest lessons these founders discovered on their journey from the personal to the professional and share how they keep themselves motivated. Today's episode is with Dr. Nadine Hashash Haram. Dr. Nadine BEM is the recipient of the British Empire Medal in the Queen's Birthday Honors for 2018, is an NHS surgeon, lecturer, and clinical entrepreneur. Nadine drew on her passion for innovation, education, and global surgery to found Proximy, an augmented reality platform aiming to improve access to expert care and to scale clinical expertise. Proxmi has enjoyed so much success with early adoption by major medical institutions and device companies and has been covered by news agencies all over the world. Dubbed by CNN as the future of surgery, Proxmi won multiple awards, including the Foreign Press Association Science Story of the Year. So my goodness, (laughs) so many great accolades, Uh, Nadine. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So Nadine, can you briefly share your value proposition in your words with our audience? Sure. I mean, the most important thing really to think about, particularly in healthcare, is you know what what is the problem you're trying to solve? And for me, it's something I can really talk about firsthand. You know, I I've been a surgeon for over ten years, largely in the areas of reconstructive plastic surgery. But as a surgeon, I experienced firsthand a lot of the fundamental challenges that we have in surgery today. Surgery is is largely undigitized. You know, operating rooms are analog. The ability to scale expertise and and deliver care around the world is is limited. Today in in surgery, we see a high amount of variability in access, variability in care, and variability of knowledge. And so for many years, I tried to do it the traditional way, going and traveling to different hospitals, different operating rooms, wearing multiple hats with NGOs or device companies, thinking about how do we deliver and scale rapidly these opportunities to deliver care to patients. And at some point along that journey, it just became clear to me that the challenges of co-presence are limiting our capabilities. And the fact that we're not data-driven in the OR is limiting the scalability. So what I decided to do is really think about how do we imagine a new world and reimagine surgery? And if we imagine a world where every operating room was digitally connected, data-driven and intelligent, wouldn't that mean that we could really make a huge impact in scaling surgical expertise, reducing variation, and enhancing access to care. And so with that in mind, I started to think about some of those fundamental criteria that I as a surgeon would want to see in a product that would enable us to do that. So first of all, it was, how do we make sure that this is accessible to everyone? How do we make sure that it's software first and therefore agnostic to any device? I could use it with my phone, my computer, my tablet. And how do we make sure that people anywhere in any operating room in any hospital could kind of have access to this? So with that vision, we built a software platform, a software platform that um, enables clinicians to virtually scrub in. It, it's built on a layer of connectivity and communication, visualization with augmented reality and data analytics that basically enables you to turn OARs into intelligent, connected environments. And with that, we've been able to connect surgeons all around the world to scale their expertise, to data capture their experiences, and start to build an intelligent ecosystem around them. And we're obviously still on the the start of that journey, but I can say today we're in over 300 hospitals and in 50 countries connecting surgeons, scaling expertise, uh, and hopefully optimizing care for patients. Wow, that's incredible, Nadine. 
Can you talk to us a little bit about the onboarding journey? I imagine that there's a massive uh, education piece to enabling these softwares in hospitals um, and with different surgeons. What was that like and how did you go about building that kind of infrastructure? Yeah, I mean, the first and most important thing you kind of have to recognize here is that you're asking surgeons and, and, you know, physicians who've been doing the same thing for many years to change the way they do things. And so first and foremost, the, the application had to be designed with kind of surgeon in mind. So we always describe Proxime designed by clinicians for clinicians. You know, from day one, our design teams were sat with clinicians, surgeons, physicians to try and think what's that workflow like. You know, we are, and I can say that because I'm a surgeon myself, you know, we're impatient. We need things to work right the first time. It's got to be one or two clicks and I'm in. And all those little nuances and kind of the design and that purposeful design of the product was key. We're also quite firm in the, the tools that we like to use. If I'm a, a tablet user, I just want to use a tablet. If I'm a laptop user, I just want to use a laptop. So trying to make it really seamless and as kind of you know frictionless as possible was important. So we, we really needed to design this to be um, able to work on any device. And finally, surgeons in the OR have different preferences. Someone might use a device company A type, you know, video system. Another one might use device company B type video system. So how do you make sure you've built a system that can plug into anything? And so those are a lot of the things that we kind of thought through the design and, and making sure that it's not cumbersome. You know, for us within, you know, really within minutes, you'll, you'll know how to use the system. A lot of it is actually quite intuitive. It's been built on a lot of common applications, on the models of a lot of common applications, because, you know, I can tell you having gone through digital transformations in hospitals in the past, we hate it. Like anything that's going to take months of training and, you know, onboarding and and all of that stuff, we don't really want to engage with. So Proxima was designed, you can in 10 minutes set it up in an OR for the first time. It takes you like two minutes to set up a case and you're, you're kind of off to the races. And and it's those kinds of decisions, I think, early on that kind of really helped us kind of accelerate uh, visibility, adoption, and and honest feedback from our users. Wow, that's really fascinating because I, um, you know, I imagined it to be much harder to integrate with all these different uh, software systems in hospitals today because some of them are pretty antiquated. I mean, exactly. We've been in hospitals where we're plugging into hardware that's like 20 years old. Wow. Did you start in the United States? Uh, did you start in Europe? Where was your kind of regional uh, launch trajectory? And do you also have um, an inspiration to expand into other markets outside of the ones that you're already in today? Like, I guess maybe the, the bigger question is like, who is your target uh, audience and customer within the medical system? And what are your plans uh, forward for the future product roadmap? Yeah. So when we started, we actually started off in kind of Europe and the Middle East. We wanted to sort of test out the product in in differing environments to try and better understand and stress test the application. Um, obviously, I'm an NHS surgeon, so that was a that was like it was easier to sort of test it in my backyard. And so that's what we really did early on, and we got a lot of product feedback and uh, you know understanding how you operationalize this at scale. The one thing I keep saying to people is it's it's one thing to have an idea and an MVP in healthcare. It's another to actually be able to execute at scale. You know, healthcare is complex. Systems are complex. Um, stakeholders are complex. And so how do you deliver 
um, a platform uh, that is able to scale operation across different health systems. And so we did a lot of that early work and evaluation in the UK uh, and the Middle East, and those were the, the early part of our journey. But the US was always a key target market for us. We just wanted to make sure that we did it at the right time. And so we actually launched in the US in um, February of last year, February, March of last year. And, you know, we grew a team from one to like close to 50 people really in, in less than kind of 10 months. So we've been able to rapidly expand now and our investor base is kind of very US based as well. Today, I would say our core markets um, are the US and Europe. That being said, we do get a lot of demand from um, APAC. We do work in the Middle East. Um, and so I would say over time, we will also start to look and shift some of our energy to APAC as well. We're in discussions with a number of partners around possibilities there too. So you mentioned that you guys launched in the US in February, March of 2020. So what was that like? Because that was kind of like when the pandemic started. Was there, was it kind of isolated to expand and and operate and build all these machines and integrate them into hospitals, um, you know, separate from the pandemic? Or did that slow down your efforts? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, Interestingly, um, the pandemic really helped us accelerate because um, th the need was there. I mean, it's so terrible to sort of think that the pandemic has helped, you know, your business. That's not what the message you want to give across, but it, the, the need was so palpable. It really accelerated. I mean, we were seeing the behavior change coming, but probably without the pandemic, we thought it would take a couple of years. Um, with the pandemic, I mean, our adoption and acceleration increased 10 times, you know, over that time. And our team you know, globally, we were a team of 20 people, 25 people uh, when the pandemic hit. We're now a team of over 100 people. The need and the demand and the opportunity just grew considerably. The, the willingness to change behavior more rapidly happened. The, the ability to scale virtually was key. I mean, our, we've always been a kind of hybrid remote business anyway. And so it was really interesting to kind of continue to scale. We weren't kind of thrown off our path um, with the remote working, because we'd always kind of done remote working. The the one interesting thing out of all that, though, is kind of trying to build a team remote, like having never met people. I mean, we interviewed, we hired people, they onboarded on the company, all from their, their like living rooms and their bedrooms. We never met them in person. That was a bit kind of unusual, because um, at least you'd hope that within your team, you could try and meet in person and kind of connect and walk through onboarding and strategy and all those things. But everyone has been incredibly resilient, and it's been really interesting to see how people have just pulled through because of a shared common purpose. You know, they want to scale expertise. They want to ensure patients get access to care. And during the pandemic, there were so many stories where, you know, Proxima was the only solution and we helped so many patients and so many partners, you know, hospitals and device companies deliver the care that was needed um, because we were able to be there and because we were able to set up everything virtually. Fascinating. Um, I've actually heard that from a few companies as well, where the pandemic actually helped them kind of catalyze um, their business because of, of a necessity. So I love hearing that, Some having some good stories come out of the pandemic. So Nadine, can you talk about how your priorities may have shifted uh, based on the round of funding that you received? Like, how did you start thinking differently about the business? Obviously, it seems like you hired a lot more people, um, but can you talk a little bit about that and what it was like? Yeah, I mean, what was exciting is we we, you know, we always had a plan. It was why we went out to raise uh, the money. We It was clear that we needed to sort of accelerate faster. And we had a lot of opportunity on both the product roadmap 
partnerships, strategic partnerships, and kind of growth. So um, it was really, really great to to kind of be in an opportunity where we had a, an exciting round, um, largely oversubscribed, but that gives you a great opportunity to really choose the right partners for the journey with you. And we were very fortunate to have uh, you know, strong U.S. and global investors come in on that round and really help us think about accelerating both, um, you know, building the team, the caliber of the team that we were trying to bring in, but equally help move forward on some of the product roadmap opportunities that we had. So, you know, our product team has grown r- massively in the last six months, I would say, and there's a lot more to do there for sure. Nadine, a question that comes up often um, when it when people talk about starting technical companies is, do you need a technical co-founder? And so, um, especially if, you know, you are more the industry expert and not the the technology expert, what was that like for you? I mean, did you feel um, comfortable in the, in the software space? It seems like you have had a very extensive education and background in a lot of different areas. So I'm just curious, because I know that that question usually comes up a lot from our audience. Like, I'm not a technical person, so therefore, you know, I can't start this company. I feel like there's a lot of companies that disprove this theory, um, many in, in Silicon Valley as well. So I'm just curious, like, what was that like for you when it came to the technical piece? Technology is a really important part of what we do. And we've definitely, I've had the opportunity to work with amazing uh, engineers and technologists and, you know, my previous VPs of engineering and others that have been instrumental in kind of getting us to where we are today. I think more importantly, though, is really recognizing that in order to come in and um, solve for some of these really big challenges in healthcare, it's actually more, it's really important to actually have the intimate knowledge of the complexity of those systems and how they actually operate. And then the second bit, of course, is not under not undermining the importance of the engineering team, but then actually hiring an incredible engineering team. So we've been very lucky um, to hire a really deep bench. I mean, even in the early days, you know, brought in kind of engineers with AR and, and visualization and data experience that even came from other industries like, I don't know, the, the, the makeup industry and other industries, but they brought really elegant solutions into healthcare. And that's something I really try and do even with the engineering team, like try and really hire more out-of-the-box type individuals that have done it perhaps in other industries that can come and show us how to do it um, in healthcare because not all healthcare software is great. And so trying to make sure we recognize that and make sure that we deliver something that is a beautiful experience um, is key. For me at Proximy, and I think, you know, why the investors have backed me as a CEO as well, the focus is much more about, you know, we're not here to say I'm an AR company or a data company or, or whatever company. It's more the mission and the purpose that we're trying to solve. And it's just building not just an engineering team, but a whole team around that marketing, product, engineering, culture, internal operations, external operations. We're all kind of, you know, when we think about the success of our company, it's not siloed into those typical kind of functions. It's more about the collective uh, cross-functional work that gets us to where we are. Amazing. And can you talk about one or two use cases that have really inspired you with your technology? Like, you know, something that uh, really allowed the surgeons to do things very differently um, and much more efficiently, much more um, maybe, you know, uh, from an innovative perspective. Like, can you talk about like what, what use case comes to mind when you were going through this journey? I mean, there's so many incredible use cases of Proximy. Um, uh, perhaps I'll share one or two, but but 
you know, I, I wouldn't say they're my favorite. They're just many. They're just the ones that are at the top of my mind at the moment. Um, one, one is a, is a really kind of really moving story. This was of a, it was a kind of 31, 32 year old guy, um, who unfortunately had de developed metastatic testicular cancer. And it was really wrapped around all the vessels in his abdomen in a really difficult way. And he'd had, he'd had kind of neoadjuvant chemo radiotherapy, everything, you know, to try and shrink the cancer before they go in surgically. And, you know, normally, at least in, in the hospital where this patient was at, they would have managed this with a laparotomy, which is a, a big incision down the front of the stomach. And he would have had to probably stay in hospital after that for, you know, 10 days, you know, 10 days to two weeks. The problem was this, it was at the height of COVID, you know, it was April time. Everything was really difficult here in the UK. Our numbers were through the roof. And there was a lot of concern about this kind of immune, immune compromised patient staying in hospital for that long. We had incredible robotic surgeons in the hospital, but they hadn't done this particular case um, th that often robotically. And so um, there was a decision made that there's a world-class expert based in Seattle who was going to dial in with Proximy and coach them and work with them through that case to help deliver the case that the patient needed. And so Dr. Porter dialed in remotely from Seattle. They worked through this case for about four or five hours. And the patient was home at day three. And on day six, he was interviewing on one of the big TV stations here. Um, and he's now in remission. And so it's incredible to see that, you know, the possibilities of what that kind of global connection can do to bring best care to this patient. And, you know, in his own words, he felt so privileged and so lucky to have had this opportunity. So it's, it's very moving. You know, it's why at Proxmi we always talk about our mission and vision story. So every Monday on our company stand-up, we'll always talk about a story. How did Proxmi change someone's life or help a physician or help a health system or a device company do what they're trying to do? Once you deliver that kind of common anchored purpose, um, the ability to see the full possibility, I think, becomes really, really beautiful and exciting. Um, so that that's one, of course, of, of many stories, but it's one that uh, that resonated, and you know, I'm I'm glad to you know continue to hear that the patient's doing well afterwards. Wow, that's so inspiring, Nadine. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, this show is called Startup Confessionals, so we uh, often founder stories. Often, you know, we talk about the successes, and media often covers what has gone well. Um, but we don't really talk about what's happening behind the scenes. And so I'm really curious to hear about moments of adversity that you may have faced on this journey and how you overcame it. Uh, and also, you know, maybe perhaps what you sacrificed or if you sacrificed anything to start the company. I think just peeking behind the curtain is important for people because I think a lot of people who are interested in starting companies or becoming more entrepreneurial oftentimes uh, don't see all the kind of challenges that come up. <laughs> we often just focus on the successes. <laughs> so yeah, if there's anything you could share that uh, could be helpful for us to see the big picture or the, the full picture, that would be great. I mean, I think uh, I'm sure any, any founder or CEO will tell you, I mean, it's, you know, it really takes kind of grit and, and resilience. And I often use the word like hustle to really kind of, it's, it's, it's so inspiring to be able to be a CEO, a founder kind of entrepreneur, but it doesn't come without its hard, you know, it's definitely its fair share of hard work. It's ups and downs. Um, 
there's a, there's an advisor, a great advisor I have that says, um, I hate it when people say it was a bumpy road. That is the road. Like there is, it's nothing but a bumpy road. So, and I think that's true for anyone, you know, setting up any company in any industry is you're going to have those highs and those lows, but those highs are amazing. And they make up for the lows when you have the lows, but it, it it's, it's not a straight line. And it's across many, many factors. You're obviously trying to disrupt the space. And so, you, you know, you're even in the early days, you're going to face a lot of like naysayers or people that kind of don't believe in what you're trying to do. But as long as you're kind of really, you believe what you're doing and you're surrounding yourself by great people, I think that's that's a kind of a great way to kind of handle that. As a, as a surgeon myself, and obviously, you know, we're, we're quite a perfectionist in what we do. And so naturally when you're coming to the world with this new idea and this new thesis, you want to make sure that it's like, you know, everyone's on board because that's, that's how we are. You know, you want to make sure everyone's kind of believing it, but naturally you have to recognize that different people are going to move and adopt at, diff- at a different pace. And I remember reading uh, a great book, Crossing the Chasm, which really helped me kind of contextualize that for, you know, the, the journey that I was going to be on, that it was going to be okay to not have everyone jumping on the bandwagon from day one, but that you were going to go through sort of stages and phases through that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, sacrifice. It's almost, it's just prioritization. Like what are the things you want to focus your time on? You know, I, I've grown up in different parts of the world and I've seen life from different lenses. And so from a very early age, for me, it was really important that I wanted to commit my life to something that was going to give impact, make impact, give back. And that started off in my journey as a surgeon and has continued to evolve in my journey of proxy. How do I make impact and how do I change people's lives? You know, do I have time to do all the the other things I'd love to do? No, of course not, because it takes a lot of time. But don't I do I love doing this? Absolutely. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, And I've been lucky. You know, I've I have three beautiful children. I've got a great supportive husband and an incredibly supportive family, you know, parents and sisters. And that keeps me grounded. It keeps me focused. Um, and it allows me to prioritize the things that are kind of important to me. So I would just say to anyone who wants to go on this journey, you know, make sure you know what you're getting into. It's an incredible journey when you're on it, but when you're on it, but it's, it's going to, it's going to take a lot of hard work and dedication and commitment. So, you know, come in with your eyes wide open, but I'd never trade it for the world. Wow. And Nadine, how do you keep yourself motivated? Do you have like some kind of uh, routine? Uh, How do you kind of prevent yourself from burning out? Because I think that's also another big question people have. Two things. One is, so I still operate. Um, I do, but it's a reduced, you know, my my practice is reducing them. So I probably do about four lists a month, four to five lists a month. And so those are like the moments where I can sort of step away from like the the, the, the day-to-day of like the, the managing the company. And it kind of brings me back to like the core essence of like the operating room, the environment, what we're trying to change that kind of coming down at a micro level of like you're back to the patient to, to what I, why I started proximity in the first place is, you know, I find is a great balance because it kind of brings me back to the kind of the purpose at the, at the ground. And, and those days I love, because it, it's back to that rawness of, you know, talking to a patient, understanding their needs, how we can help them. Um, and it helps kind of then take me, you know, when I come, when I step back out of that and come back into proxy, it, it allows me to crystallize more ideas and think through how we can continue to make that impact. And then of course, having three kids, it kind of forces you to 
also kind of find that balance on the weekends and the evenings, you know, being able to be with them for dinner time or spending time with my little one in his soccer practice on Sunday, those kinds of things. And they kind of force you, even if you're not trying to kind of find that balance. So that that's worked really well for me. And I think um, I try and as much as I can advise my team to find that balance as well. Mm, amazing. What has surprised you the most on this journey? I'm always so amazed by, I think by people, you know, I think about all the people I've met on this journey, you know, what, what started off as my little pet project, I think has become the mission of so many people around the world. And that is just so humbling. And it's just so impressive. You know, I've, I've got people that have left really big jobs to come to Proximy, um, to be part of this mission and to be part of this journey. And that is just so inspiring. Um, so, you know, not surprising in a sense, but inspiring and humbling. And I, I hope, you know, we continue to, to live up to the, the mission and vision of what we want to do and continue to scale uh, the, the Proxmi family, as we say it, to be able to deliver on, on what we want to do in the world. Well, I am sure that it's going to continue to grow. And I'm not surprised that your last round of investors are, you know, were oversubscribed um, or your last round of funding was, was uh, oversubscribed. So um, I'm just in awe of what you've created and where can people find you, Nadine, where can they find Proximy? And if let's say, you know, hospitals want to get in touch with you, where would you direct them? Yeah. So they can find me on LinkedIn or our website, which is www.proximy.com. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. This was so inspiring. And I think it just, you know, is very, I, I think, inspiring for so many young women who I think are looking up to you to be able to build like this type of company and to have this type of mission. And so really grateful for your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to get to learn more about me and Proximy. Thank you. And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening to Startup Confessionals.